Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The term fairy nowadays, for the most part, has positive connotations. And from the media we consume, you'd be forgiven for thinking fairies such as Tinkerbell or the fairy godmother were the textbook definition. Although they do technically fall under the definition of what a fairy can be, I think it's best if we take this very Disney-esque depiction and ignore it for now. Which then begs the question, what is a fairy? Terms such as fae, fair folk or fairy have been used across many European cultures and they refer to physical beings or spirits with supernatural qualities. So given that very broad definition, a fairy can essentially be any mythical creature. It's not a specific type of creature, but more so a term used to categorise a whole bunch of creatures. Hence why fairy tales contain all manner of magical creatures, from dragons, elves, goblins, dwarves, and of course fairies. Sometimes they have a close connection to humans and are fairly benevolent, and other times their stories are much darker than the fairy tales you may find today. In order to understand these origins and why they may not have always been so bright and cheery, we need to examine the different types of fairy. In Scotland, fairies are classified into two categories, which are now commonly used in several other countries. They are divided into the Seelie Court and the Unseelie Court. The Seelie Court are the fairies that wish to help humans. They are described as the most beautiful and vibrant of fairies. They seek out humans for favours, and in return offer assistance when needed through blessings and wishes. If they are offended by a human, they will always attempt to rectify the situation. These fairies are commonly associated with the spring and summer, as they prefer to be out in the light. The Unseelie Court are their much darker counterparts. They are hideous and have no interest in being friendly. They are most active in the autumn and winter, as they prefer to travel in the dark. They dabble in dark magic and will harm humans merely to entertain themselves. They also routinely steal human children as they themselves are unable to reproduce. Fairies can also be categorised as trooping, solitary, and domesticated. Trooping refers to organised groups of fairies. Fairies that have formed their own society and have their own rules and laws to govern by. Solitary fairies prefer to be alone, and are almost always tricksters or sinister creatures. Domesticated fairies are normally part of a household. In exchange for their labour and service, they are given food and a place to stay. Fairies in general are normally described as very small human-like creatures with wings. However, their size can vary, as many of them can imitate humans in form. We also have many fairies who do not have wings, so there is no one-size-fits-all description for fairies. 
The changeling is a type of fairy common in all sorts of European folklore. They were left behind by fairies when a human had been stolen, commonly a child. The changeling would mimic the missing person's appearance, although this disguise was never perfect. A superior intellect to a child of the same age could be hidden, but facial hair, long teeth, and abnormally large beady eyes may make you question if this was really your child. The changeling story is quite sad, with some rather dark undertones. It's common for them to be referred to as oafs, because they were the deformed offspring of fairies and elves. They were shunned and never accepted. When the fairies found a child they wanted to take in as their own, they would kidnap the child and leave the changeling in their place. These children were taken for a multitude of reasons. Some were taken as servants, some to punish the parents who had wronged the fairies, and others were loved and raised as the replacement for the changeling. If the changeling was discovered, there were a number of ways one could attempt to have their child returned. Causing the changeling to laugh was one way, and then we have the not-so-subtle approach of torturing the changeling. This was used as a common excuse and explanation for child abuse, especially amongst children who were born with some kind of deformity. It also ties into the idea that taking the changeling into the wilderness to be reclaimed by the fairies may also work. At a time where providing enough food for a household was a struggle for many, every member of that household would have to contribute. Changelings were seen as having a voracious appetite, as well as several deformities which resulted in a lack of contribution, and so they threatened the family's ability to sustain itself. Thus the close links to child abuse, abandonment, and infant mortality rates. There are also stories of fairies kidnapping adults to marry into their families, and mothers to help raise their fairy children. In these cases, an enchanted log was left behind, which assumed the appearance of the person who had been stolen. Shortly after, this log replacement would become sick and die, forcing the family to bury their lost loved one, none the wiser of the swap that has just occurred. The case of Bridget Cleary is probably the most famous involving a changeling-related murder. The events took place in Ireland, where Bridget had been killed by her husband in 1895, who had then set her body on fire, claiming that she had been taken by the fairies. Bridget had been diagnosed with bronchitis. Her condition was severe enough that she had a priest administer her last rites. Given her sudden illness, Bridget's husband and father accused her of being a fairy sent to replace the real Bridget. In order to cast out the fairy, Bridget was carried into the fireplace. This was done because in Ireland it was believed that placing a changeling into a fireplace would cause them to jump up the chimney and return the missing person. The changeling story is a sad one, of abandonment and neglect. Leprechauns are most likely a type of fairy you've heard of before. They were seen as mischievous creatures, but they also preferred to act alone. Much of their time was spent making shoes, as most of them were cobblers by trade. Today's leprechauns are fairly close in appearance with just one major difference, the colours worn. The iconic green was actually never a thing prior to the 20th century. 
before leprechauns would wear red jackets. David Russell McAnally wrote a book titled Irish Wonders, which details all sorts of fairies, ghosts and creatures found in Irish folklore. It was his belief that every mythology had good and evil spirits. To him, the leprechaun was a relic of Ireland's pagan mythology. It was neither wholly good nor entirely evil. His take on the leprechaun is by far one of the most detailed I've come across. By birth, the leprechaun is of low descent, his father being an evil spirit and his mother a degenerate fairy. By nature, he is a mischief maker, the puck of the Emerald Isle. He is of diminutive size, about three feet high, and is dressed in a little red jacket, with red breeches buckled at the knee, grey or black stockings, and a hat in the style of a century ago, over a little old withered face. He also goes on to say that fairies who live in large groups wear the colour green, whereas solitary fairies such as leprechauns prefer red. If you were able to physically catch a leprechaun, they were compelled to show you the location of their gold, which was buried in mounds of dirt. However, they had plenty of tricks along the way. In one story, a farmer caught a leprechaun and demanded he take him to his gold. The leprechaun did so that night. However, when the farmer ordered him to start digging, he pleaded to let him go because he had no spade. He was no use to the farmer at this point as he already knew where the gold was. The leprechaun took a stick and placed it into the mud and then threw his hat on top. The spot has been marked. You can come back with a spade and take all of the gold for yourself. Now please let me go. Satisfied, the farmer let the leprechaun go and returned the next morning with a spade ready to dig up the gold. However, the farmer returned to a bog full of sticks and hats placed on top of them. Finding the gold now would take forever. He had been well and truly outsmarted. McCannerly also mentions that leprechauns avoid friendships with other fairies and have no interest in marriage or family. Some stories point to this being because they were exiled, and others merely believe that leprechauns just prefer to be alone. Remaining on the topic of solitary house fairies, we have the Boggarts and Brownies. When everybody in the house is asleep, the Brownie will come out and perform various tasks and chores. In return for their service, they ask for an offering of some kind. This was normally food and drink, with brownies having a particular taste for cake, milk, and cream. Similar to the brownie, you have the hobgoblin, which was also seen as a helpful house spirit. Brownies were seen as a sign of prosperity for the household they inhabit, but they were also notorious for their unpredictable temperament. They were extremely easy to upset. Something as harmless as moving the broom or changing their surroundings can leave them in a fit of rage. If they are not calmed down or appeased, they will leave the house and look for another. This is actually the best scenario, because the alternative is the brownie becomes a boggart. Essentially, an evil brownie. They cause chaos around the house. They steal and move things around, they mess with pets and cause milk to sour, they even jump into your bed to pull on your ears and just behave like creepy weirdos. 
Boggarts will follow families wherever they go, so moving house doesn't solve the problem. Placing a pile of salt outside the door to a room and leaving a horseshoe on the door handle of your front door is said to keep Boggarts from entering. Pixies are a type of fairy common in the United Kingdom, particularly in Devon and Cornwall. Some of you may remember the Cornish Pixies in Harry Potter. Most Pixies were believed to live underground in large mounds and stone circles. For the most part, they were considered harmless and benign, childlike in both stature and demeanour. They were playful and mischievous. A singular pixie was a rare sight, as they often gathered in very large groups, dancing, singing and playing pranks on nearby humans. There are stories of pixies kidnapping children and punishing humans, however there are far more that describe them as being fond of humans, especially children and those who meant them no harm. This stretched as far as playing with children, giving them blessings, and even granting them wishes in some fairy tales. The modern depiction of a pixie is a small creature with pointed ears and wings, somewhat elf-like. In the Victorian era, they were depicted as wearing not much more than old rags. However, giving a pixie new clothing was a very good way to make a friend of one. The rise of Christianity in Britain caused stories of pixies to change slightly. Pixies were then explained as being the souls of unbaptized children who had died. Shortly after their funeral, they would change into pixies instead of passing on. They remained in this plane with the same childlike innocence, however they were trapped in pixie limbo. A type of creature that we see in many cultures today takes the form of the Irish Banshee, the Old Irish roughly meaning Woman of the Fairy Mound. Banshees appear as both young and elderly women, their eyes red and sore from the continuous weeping they are known for. The elderly Banshees are quite short with a green dress and grey cloak. The more youthful banshees are sometimes rather tall, with red, silver or golden hair, a white dress and a ghostly complexion. A banshee appears when a family member has died. Their screaming or wailing is the first sign. You may already be aware of the situation, but in cases of long distance, the banshee is always seen as a bearer of bad news. A common explanation was that banshees were the ghosts of young women who had died a brutal death. If that woman was mistreated or had a deep hatred for her family, then they would stick around, full of anger, waiting for those they hated to also die. More common are these stories of women who died too early and that had a strong connection to their family, and so they remain or linger to watch over them. The songs of these banshees were much calmer, but were also full of sorrow. This ties to the profession of keening, and the term keening woman, which we do see in Scotland and Ireland. Essentially, keening is a way of paying respect to the dead. It is a vocal ritual of sorts performed at wakes and funerals. Some may compare it to singing, however it's not quite the same. There is vocal repetition and rhythm in both voice and movement, but none of this is planned. More importantly, there is also what some would compare to a banshee's wailing. 
Sometimes banshees would predict a death and appear early. The person whose fate had been predicted may hear the banshee song days before anyone else. When numerous banshees were seen in one place, the death was considered to be someone of greater significance than normal. It's fair to say that banshees aren't considered evil or malicious fairies, but given the circumstances that build up to seeing one, it's understandable why you would rather avoid them. Another commonly held belief is that fairies were once pagan deities. As their belief and worship began to disappear, they were demoted to just mythical beings. The church echoes a similar idea, however fairies in this case were once angels who had been demoted. The story states that during a revolt in heaven, God ordered the gates to be shut. Those inside remained angels, those in hell became demons, and those in between became fairies. Eventually, by the 17th century, the church began to see all fairies as demons. The brownies and hobgoblins, which were once seen as friendly house spirits, were now seen by many as wicked goblins. Even the idea of fairies had become associated with acts of witchcraft, and thus those spreading these stories were punished in a similar way. The idea of fairies being or representing the souls of the dead appears quite often. In both Scotland and Ireland, there is a fairy known as the Slough or Sluch that flies through the air during Halloween. This is a cloudy mass largely composed of the souls of the dead, flying together almost like a flock of birds. Pre-Christianity, they were considered some of the most vile members of the unseely court, Wherever they went, the feeling of hopelessness and sadness followed. Humans would avoid them at all costs. The church then gave the slough a more physical or human description. Rather than fairies, they became the souls of sinners and those who refused to repent. They were cursed to fly through the air together for eternity. Now as we've seen today, the word fairy is very much a blanket term, used by many cultures to categorise a group of creatures within their folklore. These creatures can have fairly joyous stories, but they can also be part of very tragic tales. If you have any stories of fairies, movies, TV shows or books where you enjoyed their depiction, feel free to share those in the comments section. As always, I've been your host, Mythology and Fiction Explained.